This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. This is it. This is the hour. This is the hour where I say something. This is the hour where I say something cryptic, followed shortly by some manner of greeting. Well, here it is. Boo! (laughs) Good evening. My apologies, intrepid listeners. Things have been fairly laconic around here of late. It's not like we haven't been diligently spelunking the foulest depths for new treats for you, but there is a certain drudgery to it, as you might imagine. The job can get tedious sometimes, and uh, yet we press on, pry hideous tales from the fetid, festering shadows, and prepare them for you. Never a night off for us. The work must continue. Of course, not everyone is immune to the constant demands of their busy job. It's not unheard of for someone, even the gentlest of souls, to be pushed too far. But in tonight's play, a tale is told of one unfortunate character that may have been driven to devilish extremes. Afternoon, fellas. Hey, Frank. Kirby. Howdy. Ready for your rare moment of freedom? 12.25, as always. Right. Let's see what the lunch gods have bestowed upon us today. Ready for round one? Oh, god damn it. Wife packed you tuna salad again, huh? She knows I hate this stuff. I swear, I've almost reached my breaking point with this shit. Why don't you just pack your own lunch, Thomas? You don't get it, man. I've told her like 50 times I don't like tuna salad. But does she listen? No. Of course not. Tough luck, Tom. At least I have cold pizza. And Kirby's got his salad. Always be prepared. (sighs) I swear I'm up to here with this. At least you're not like that one guy. What one guy? You talking about that guy from CompuTools? Yeah, I heard about that on the news last week. Oh yeah? The news? I just thought it was some sort of office anecdote. Chad and Dana were talking about it in the break room not long ago. That's where I first heard it. But then I ended up talking to Sally Boyd. You know, who used to work at CompuTools. What the hell are you guys talking about? Not in the loop then, Tom. I've got better things to do with my time, but now I'm curious. Well, Frank can probably tell you better than I can. <laughs> Maybe. Well, you see, there was this guy over at CompuTools. Nice guy, I hear. I think... Crap. What was his name again? It was Phil. Right. That was it. Phil Curbson. Thanks, buddy. Don't mention it. Anyway, he was one of those diligent workers. (coughs) Never complained. Always got his work done before deadline. Hell, he would even stay late to make sure that his perfect record was never tarnished. Ugh, I hate those guys. Well, supposedly, CompuTools hired this new hotshot manager. Basic ROTC'd up from corporate, you know? Never lifted a finger in his life and could just get right to the front. 
Man, I hate those guys even more. Exactly. So this guy was brought in to, wait for it, help, right? And since this douche really didn't know anything about CompuTools products, he would just bark orders and micromanage and all sorts of bullshit. Everyone in the office was buzzing. We're gonna quit. Let's get HR involved. This guy is completely heartless. The usual empty water cooler promises. Everyone was in a tiff. Except Phil. Phil would mind his own business and do his work with a silent smile. He would even go as far as asking his new manager, Anything else I can do to help? Well, I don't know if that manager deliberately planned to be this malicious or if it was just common nature for him, but he got this notion in his head to see how far he could bend Phil until he broke. Starting the very next day, the manager threw the biggest workflow onto Phil's desk. I need this done by five o'clock today or you can just pack your shit now. Or something to that effect. Phil just turns to face the manager, smiles his calm, innocent smile, and says, Sure thing, boss. Five o'clock rolls around. Phil walks into the manager's office and proudly places the completed report onto the man's desk. Here you go, boss. Tell the manager, he looks up from polishing his 600-pound marble desk at the report, and his jaw just about hits the floor. How could one man complete that report in only seven and a half short hours? Then he looks at Phil, all in shock, and Phil just smiles and says, Anything else I can do to help? <laughs> Come on, no one's that patient. That's what the manager thought, too. He shook his head, and Phil just wished the guy a pleasant evening and headed out. The manager was flabbergasted, but he steeled his motives and vowed that he would try harder to break this man's spirit by the end of the week. Well, the end of the week came and went, and still, Phil was cheerful as ever, always responding to every outrageous task with a happy, sure thing, and then turning in the completed work to the manager at the end of the day with a polite, anything else I can do to help? Well, this went on for a few weeks, and the manager, now seeing the current efforts were fruitless, decided he needed to up the ante. He'd bombard Phil with major accounts and lengthy business trips and tedious conferences, all to quell his passion that Phil must be broken. But with every new and more difficult task, Phil would embrace it with a sure thing, boss, and come back for more with a sunny, anything else I can do to help? <laughs> Damn. I don't believe it. I can. What happened next? Yeah, so this manager, he's at his wit's end, but had one more trick up his sleeve. Although his lack of concentration on the job he was hired for was beginning to come under fire, he wanted to give it one more shot before he had to face the firing squad himself. So he got it in his head that it was the breaks in between each eight-hour day that was allowing Phil to wind down, regain his bearings, get a good night's sleep, and come back the next day ready for more. With that in mind, he gave Phil the budget report for the following year and told him, I don't care how long it takes, but you cannot leave your desk until we trim at least $5 million off of next year's budget. As always, Phil replied with his trademark, Sure thing, boss. The manager turned away knowing that this task would be Phil's breaking point. And, like clockwork, Phil came into the manager's office with the completed budget and handed it to him. Anything else I can do to help? The manager looked over the budget and basically said, Eh, I really don't like these numbers. Do it all over, and this time, do it right. <laughs> Asshole. No kidding. Phil's smile sagged a little, but soon rebounded and turned around and headed back to his desk. The manager spotted that and chuckled to himself. His plan was finally working. So eight o'clock rolls around, and Phil returns to the office, 
but now he looks a bit different. His hair a bit disheveled, his horn-rimmed glasses are now on his forehead, one corner of his shirt has become untucked from his pants. Phil's stride isn't as carefree. Phil hands the report to the manager and utters, Anything else I can do to help, sir? The manager, now seeing victory close at hand, looks at the report. Uh, Phil, I think you made some miscalculations here. The manager hands the report back to Phil and says, Do it again, and remember what I said. You stay until it's complete. Phil's pretty dejected and defeated by this point. He looks at the report, wipes sweat from his brow, and trudges back to his office. And as soon as the door closes, the manager up and dances for joy. Phil was nearly gone. The manager was going to sleep good that night. Really? Frank, no one is that cool. I'm starting to think this is just some BS cautionary tale, right, Kirby? Clearly you haven't had a manager like that asshat, then. People can be vindictive. So anyway, at 11 o'clock, Phil trudged back into the manager's office and handed him the completed and corrected report. Exhausted, Phil asked, Is there anything else I can do to help, sir? The manager, now a shining example of pure arrogance, threw the report on the floor and exclaimed, Why did you do the budget for next year? Asked you to do the budget for this year. Can't you even follow simple instructions? I want you to march back to your pathetic little cube, and you're going to stay all night if you have to, until you do exactly what I asked you to do. So help me God, I'll find someone else who can do it. Now, no one knows exactly what happened next. But some of the late-night stragglers who heard the manager's tirade claim that as soon as he was finished, Phil took off his glasses, cleaned them off with the corner of his shirt that was still untucked, put his glasses back on, and closed all of the blinds in the manager's office that faced the rest of the room. What came from the room after that was a thunderous crash and a high-pitched shriek. The door flew open, and the manager bolted out of the room with glass shards in his hair, bleeding profusely from his face, screaming, Call security! Call security! Witnesses then claimed that they saw Phil calmly walk out of the office with a blood-stained letter opener in his right hand. Phil's calm and happy expression was lost to a visage a person could only describe as berserk. Jesus. Now, this is the part where I'm pretty sure some details are being exaggerated, but I digress. Some of the witnesses said Phil's expression wasn't the only thing that had changed. The way I heard it, Phil's teeth had become sharp and pointed, his skin red and scaly, and his hair flying around his head, kind of like Medusa's snake hair. He marched toward his cowering manager, chanting, Sure thing! Sure thing! Sure thing! Louder and louder, until he was shrieking. Phil destroyed everything in his path to get to the manager, who was scrambling for the elevator. He turned over cubicle walls, hurled the office printer, overturned desks, but was still marching at a steady pace. Not once did Phil's gait increase in speed. The elevator doors finally opened, and the manager quickly darted inside, and he, as he was frantically pounding on the door close button, Phil's arm thrust inside the cabin as the doors were closing. The manager let out a girlish cry for help, and then... Yeah? Then what? Well, security hauled Phil away. The folks that stuck around for the whole ordeal say they never heard Phil use any profanity ever. But on that day, they heard curse words so vile that they almost sounded like they were in some form of ancient tongue, some demonic language. As the paddy wagon rolled up into the office building drive, witnesses noticed three things. First, 
that Phil was kicking and screaming the entire time and was hardly recognizable. Second, that the manager couldn't stop crying. And thirdly, and the most bizarre, was they realized what made the thunderous crash in the manager's office. The 600-pound marble desk, the manager's prized possession, now lay in pieces outside the office window. So that's it? What happened after that? There had to have been a trial. Oh, there was a trial. But Phil was deemed mentally unstable, so he was committed to the state hospital over in Brookfield. Everything died down and returned to normal. The manager was brought in to see corporate, and he was actually let go, because not only did the security cameras record what Phil did to the manager and the office, they also recorded the manager's outburst on Phil that caused him to snap in the first place. (laughs) Just desserts, I say. There's more to the story, though, isn't there? Well, yeah. And here's the real punchline. And I got this from Sally Boyd, because she used to be the manager's admin before that branch closed. After the manager was let go, he was cleaning out his temporary desk, and to pass the time, he had the radio on. The manager left his office for a moment to get some more boxes, and Sally heard on the radio announce that Phil Kerbson was discovered missing from his cell at the hospital. The manager had just stepped back into the office when he heard it, and he froze in horror. And as Sally turned around to see the manager's expression... The door slammed in her face, knocking her on the ground. When she picked herself up, Sally says she heard the manager pleading with someone, begging for his life, and then she heard a calm, cheerful voice reply, Anything I can do to help? Sally tried to open the door, but it was locked. She tried looking through the windows, but someone had drawn the blinds, and she only saw flailing shadows and heard the sound of a struggle. She shouted for help and kicked at the door, but it was too late. After the noise stopped, she heard the lock on the door click, and she opened it to reveal a gruesome scene. The manager was... Okay, whoa, hold up. If this is really gory, I I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) Uh, Fair enough. Don't want to ruin your lunch. My lunch was ruined the moment I got this stupid sandwich. But still. Hey, I want to know. What did Sally see? Don't you dare, Frank. Fine. Fine. I'll give the basics. Leave the rest to your imagination. As you probably guessed, the manager was dead. And not just dead, but mangled, ripped open, contorted, barely recognizable. His heart had been removed and was lying in the manager's left hand. Okay, 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 okay. God, that that is awful. And someone had scrawled something on the office wall behind him. We were wrong. He had a heart after all. How the hell did Sally stand it? Search me. She seemed pretty shaken when she told me about it. After that, CompuTools shut down that office. I think they turned it into a... a megabuy. Okay, now, wait a minute. A lot of this doesn't add up. What happened to Phil? This is when I'm supposed to say, that's the strange thing. But it's it's not really that strange. When they finally opened up the office, the only person in there was the manager. Sally even said she never actually saw Phil. She only heard his voice. Or at least, what sounded like his voice. And he hasn't been seen since. That story is complete bullshit. What? Like, you know exactly what happened? I just know that that's not how it went down. <laughs> okay then, hotshot. How do you know? Well, for one thing, the hospital doesn't even know I'm gone yet. Get your facts straight. Hey, Kurt. I've been looking for you. Got a couple things I need taken care of. Sure thing, boss. Come to think of it, Kirby's last name is Phillips. You know, this sandwich might not actually be so bad. 
Office chatter? Lunchroom rumors? Hmm, maybe. But my friends, you should take heed. Be kind to others. Vindictive characters always get their just desserts. Hmm, come to think of it, it's about time for dessert. Will that be all for you tonight? I see. Well then, until next week in mean, pleasant dreams. <laughs> Midnight Marinara is a bi-monthly podcast written, produced, directed, and mixed by David King. This episode features the voice talents of Andrew Lind, Nick Jewell, and Matt Benson. You can listen to Andrew and Benson on our humble host, the Benview Network, under the Nerd's Eye View podcast. You can follow Nick's work with the Loading Checkpoint YouTube channel and blog. The Nice Guy is based on the original short story by Mad Murphy. You can read this and other works of his at wellhay.com. Comments? Suggestions? Declarations of war against the Phantom Army of Lobar? Feel free to leave feedback wherever you listen to this, or email us at midnightmarinera at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.